So uh, beginning of uh, part two, okay, Jared, you were saying, Jared, you were saying that. Uh, um, yeah, the source that I had, one of my very first sources that said, you know, when you Western armies leave, you know, the Taliban will come back. They, they will come back. Um, which again, I think is why I look at Afghanistan from a different through a different lens than a lot of other people because I had that interaction with the culture. So I really got to know the people. I got to really know the country, um, the different ideologies that go, you know, through that country, um, the different regions, the warlord mentality. I think understanding a lot of that really helped me process things you know despite what happened there i never pointed the blame at it was the country itself the The country itself or the government or why are we here or you know it was never that it was and again that's where i say leadership played a role and i think resiliency training at this point now because now the military had switched to a um train like you fight train like you fight fight like you train resiliency training um that that's a good point to bring up so what what do you mean by resiliency training do you mean fight so the way you train? resiliency yeah resiliency training is is training as realistically as as you can um to kind of as a prep to prepare you for what you may or what you may experience or may not experience if you have a good tour um well but, you did you know, a conduct it, you did a conduct after capture uh yeah conduct after capture experience um so that but that the, that is resiliency training, and if you if you want to just tell the listeners, uh, give a brief outline of what it what it uh, um, what it entailed and the information you are allowed to give away. Yeah, so resiliency training in that context of conduct after capture, the resistance to interrogation is that if you did end up getting kidnapped or whatever it is by some organization or held hostage. It prepared you for what to expect mentally and physically um, so that it wasn't a shock to the system, so that you're, you had this muscle memory, if you will, um, and you knew how – and you were given tools on how to mitigate the impacts of it. So the training is very realistic. Um, you know, they strip you down and take away everything um, that is you, you know, you're – your nakedness, your... Well, they literally your, strip you down to nothing. They literally strip you down. So you, like, it's... And they've, they've, they have access to your files, so they know if you're married, they know if you have kids, they know all your weaknesses. They have, which a, normal kid, they have that, uh, access to all of that for everybody, almost everybody who has a Facebook account. Because people... Oh, pretty, well, now, know nowadays, nowadays, pretty much, when people don't know how to put in... Uh, security measures on their account you can search a ton of info on yep. people the, the best thing is to google yourself yep. google your name and see what pops up um but yeah they strip you down the instructors have access to your file um so they know your weaknesses and where to poke and prod and, and what stressors lying. are um you know they it, it's exactly what you see in the movies um like movies like zero dark 30 uh, except Canada doesn't do waterboarding, but uh, <laughs> you know the lights are on, the music, the uh, well, you know they're doing. Th- this is, we're not giving anything away here because I mean, when no. I say it's in all the movies and all the books. Um, yeah, you know you're you're stripped down naked, uh, you're mocked, you're ridiculed, you're put in situations where you know what do you do? Do you come a, 
come back with food or do you eat all the food yourself or exactly they try to you know they'll separate you from the group and try and break you down emotionally um they'll try it's the good cop bad cop routine you know they'll they'll try and empathize with you and to get you to talk but the biggest mental thing that you need to remember is that it's a game even even in real life when once you understand that it's a game and that they don't really care about you they just want the information that's in your head exactly uh, and that, that information that's the essence of uh, combat after capture is to not give away that information for as long exactly. as you possibly can because everybody breaks eventually whether it's exactly Every, everybody has their breaking point yeah. 100% um some people just take longer than others yeah. and uh so what were the big big five you could uh information you could give out uh immediately oh it was your it was your service number your first name your rank um which were key and you know your your status you're a canadian soldier which are key to united nations um you know the the hague and stuff like that yeah uh so that if they ever did televise something that your name and everything was out there and they could properly identify you, but you were not to give away any information about your unit, um, you know, your family, your specific uh, job, your specific job. None of that. It was just name, rank, serial number, your basic stuff and birth date and birth date. Yeah. So that they can identify in case you die. Yeah. Uh, or, and also identify your wife. They post you on TV in a video clip or something like that. Sorry, what was that? If they, like, if they post you a video clip of you on TV, right. you know, uh, and also a piece of information. Oh, what did they call it? Uh, there was a word. I can't remember. To confirm. I can't remember what it was. A, it was a, it was to confirm that it was actually you. Yeah. So I you would, to, you would remember what it is too. I can't remember. It's been so long. Like you gave but it was the something that only you would know, that confirmation. Like I drove, if you had to say something, you know, hey, I worked at McDonald's when I was a kid. My first and car was a 74 Grand Trino. Exactly. And that would be the... That wasn't part okay, of the conversation. I'm just bringing no, it. It was, it was the, you're under, under duress, I think is what it was. Yep. Um, that was the key trigger word to show that you were under duress, that they were not treating you well or whatever it was, and that only you would know that one piece of information. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's and that's what I talk about resiliency training. That's one example of, you know, hardcore resiliency training, um, which the military kind of went down that path of train like you fight, fight like you train, um, more realistic scenarios, live fire ranges, um, you know, getting immersed in that whole um, scenario, if you will, of combat, yep. you know, pop-up targets, pop-up silhouette targets, the whole nine yards to kind of get you in that muscle memory, get you used to the noises, um, the smells, the, the uh, flashes of light and stuff like that that actually take place in uh, in combat because um, it can be overwhelming. And as you, you know, the terminology that we used in Kansoff was operating in the black. Yep. Is that once your brain hits that mental overload and you start shutting down and you can't make decisions anymore, you're now a liability to your section and your and platoon. Yourself. Yep. And yourself. 
because um, you've lost that innate ability to fight and defend yourself. You're just going to sit there and suck your thumb, essentially. And I've seen it. Um, thankfully, it occurred during training. We identified it and then realized that this person had a very weak um, war. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say weak. They're not weak. It's just they didn't have the mental toughness to deal with that situation. Yeah. Um, this was their first combat mission, their first mission ever as military. And it was, you know, their first experience of live fire and stuff. So they, it was overwhelming for them. Um, and they did not respond to direction, like literally in a live fire scenario, huddled up against the wall and refused to move. Yeah. Um, and that was with nine bangers going off all around. Um, not nine bangers being, uh, Oh, sorry. Flash, flash bangs, you know, um, flash bang grenades and stuff like that, which are large, really, really bright flashes and a really, really loud noise. Often used to disorient, uh, used to disorient you and stuff. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this person just froze and went into the black and, uh, thankfully, you know, we identified it early so that it didn't happen in a in a situation where they would be at risk of their own lives and the lives of their platoon. So they were reassigned to something else. Did they go overseas? Uh, they did, but into a role that would not involve leaving the wire. Okay, so they were still useful, <clears throat> but uh, just in a different in a different area. Capacity. All right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're relatively well qualified to speak on leadership, having uh, uh, gone from the ranks. You were a master warrant officer, and you took your commission to a captain, or were you a lieutenant? You would have been a captain. No, captain. Yeah. I lucked lucked out, went direct to captain, if they only knew. Yeah, exactly. So do you you find the group dynamic is different um, in in regards to how how a squatty, one of the boys on the ground, or a few of the boys on the ground would react to a stressful situation, uh, then say the officer group uh, would act? Well, that's, that's it's kind of a two-part question because there's actually two different, two different um, groups of officers, if you will. There's the combat arms officers, yeah. and then there's the support officers, you know, logistics, health services, intelligence officers, whatever it may right. be. Um, and the training is extremely different between the two, unless you're a CFR, of course. But for a, let's talk about an officer that just right off the street goes to RMC and then goes into their trade. Yep. So combat arms officers, right from their first developmental period, work in these teams, these small teams, and they work on that camaraderie piece. And they with their peers, with their peers, and their then they're instructed by, you know, senior NCOs and sergeants and warrant officers, and they go up through their training before they even get to their regiment. So right off the bat, they're ahead of everyone else because logistics doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know about health services, but I don't think they do that either. No, not It's really just not. like you have a degree, here's your rank, and now you're going on your HSO course and board. Woo-hoo. Yeah, or whatever uh, next course you're going on. Um, exactly. So there's no camaraderie and there's no building up of that piece. Um, so leadership wise in logistics, our off- our junior officers are very inexperienced when it comes to dealing with 
these situations. Um, a lot of them haven't seen it, you know, right out of RMC or out of Borden, they get posted to Esquimalt or Cold Lake or wherever. Um, and then from there they get posted or they go on tour to Iraq, yeah. uh, top yeah. impact. And they just have, there's no training or experience there for them to draw on. Now, if one of their troops or soldiers in Iraq say, has to deal with something. It's just not there. Where on the combat arms side, it's a completely different story. Um, they are immersed in that section, platoon, company, regimental mentality from day one, so they understand how important it is to have that relationship with your troops. And they bond. And they bond, yeah, but, 100%. But they, they, but they keep a professional distance. And by professional distance, I mean like a... Uh, not a tactical bound for safety wise. Well, kind of a social, social tactical bind or bound. They, um, yeah, it, it totally comes down to well, obviously when you give orders, you can't have that friendship piece come into play. Um, if a higher ranking person is giving, especially on the battlefield, if you're giving orders on the battlefield to your, friends. there's no time. Yeah. Like it's, you can't sit there and go, hey, but we were just having a beer last night, and you called me by my first name. Yeah, yeah no. Listen, dude, I need you to do this. Do it now. Well, it's why uh, I, I I would sometimes be described as a prick. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not generally by, you know, people that knew me, but, you know, some of the younger troops coming up. Because I, I didn't do things like, you know, play poker with them over uh, after the evening. Was I'd yeah. stop by, shoot the shit, maybe watch a movie with them or something. But I, I wanted to maintain that professional distance because if you're sending them out into harm's way, it's harder if it's your friend. 100%. 100%. But today's leaders, and this just disgusts the hell out of me, today's leaders are Facebook friends with all their troops. Yeah. Like they friend everybody. And like I have, I, I know chief warrant officers that have friends that are corporals. And I don't know if it's like hey, I have the most number of friends or they think it's cool or I don't know what the hell or if people even screen their friendship requests. But you can't do that. You can't bring these people into your life and give them that access to your life no. um, because it's going to impact that professional relationship down the road somewhere, Yeah, 100%. Well, I, can, um, I can remember coming up as a young medic um, in the uh, in, in the field ambulance we had sergeants who who um were not unfriendly they might not have been exactly really friendly up 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 immediately but eventually you did uh, did bond with them but you knew if you fucked up that you would pay the price yep. however if it was if there was some way of helping you out of that jam yeah um they would fall on their uh, swords and you know get you out of the 100 percent, and i think in my opinion, I think that also is a piece of resiliency um, because today we're in today's military. We are so touchy feely um, and worried about that friend type mentality. It, it's just gone too far. I think uh, into the personal aspect of it versus if you actually treat a person still treat them with respect but 
toughen them up mentally. Yeah. Like there's going to be times that I may need to yell at you. Uh, <laughs> because it's going to be effective. Because it's the only way I'm going to get your attention and I need you to pay attention right now. Yeah. Um, you know, put, yeah, I, I think that that that's a huge part of the mental toughness resiliency piece is that we're just a little bit too soft, I think. You know, oh, you can't yell at troops anymore, which is a thing. Trust me, a BMQ is running in Borden right now. My God, you yell at somebody and you hear about it. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm sure that uh, our fair forefathers said the same things about us. <laughs> They're weaker than they coming in. They're not the same as when we were coming in. Get off my lawn. <laughs> true 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 story i'm sure it's a i hate to see where we're going to be in the future but um if it keeps going that way but i think there is definitely we need to take that resiliency training and make things realistic because i think that's where we lose focus especially being canadian soldiers yeah we're we're treated like toy soldiers in my opinion um you know we go and fight forest fires we go and, you know, fill sandbags for floods, and which is all, all good stuff, awesome stuff. Yeah. But we forget that the true nature of a soldier is to defend a country uh, and project whatever our government wants us to do. And which Diplomacy by other means. Diplomacy by other means. Um, and I think a lot of people join the military and don't understand that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, I they mean, just look at it as a job. I needed a job. They were hiring, and I get paid. And again, uh, look at it at a at a previous conversation about uh, you know how bright you were at twenty one. I mean, we just mm-hmm. weren't. I mean, I look back on it and think, yeah, I was pretty checked out. But when I give it some serious critical analysis, <laughs> oh yeah, Dren, there was some stupid fucking thing. Oh yeah, man. There's things living in single quarters in Calgary in uh, Curry Barracks. Yep. Oh man, there's some, there's a lot of stuff there that could be unpacked. And man, was I stupid! Um, <laughs> Just thankfully, we we were stupid before the age of the internet. Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So I think we need to get more resiliency training in there, for sure. It needs to be realistic. Uh, in the medical world, I think you guys went down that road and are still down that road. And when I look at you know T Triple C. Man, when I did first aid training, it was on a plastic dummy. Now, when you do T triple C, it's as much you know, you're doing on the body and pigs, pig. Uh, yeah, you're practicing intravenous therapy. You know, uh, sticking nasal cannulas chest, up your nose, nasal cannulas, chest decompressions. Although I don't think T triple C, I think they steered away from chest decompressions. Yeah, because you're but, too busy winning the firefight. If he needs uh, chest yeah. compressions, he's fucked. Yeah, but I, when I took mine, we were still doing it. Um, then we oh, did yeah. it on a goat. We did it on a goat. Um, we did it on, on an animal just to show that it does work and to, and what you're going to experience actually inserting that needle into a chest cavity. Um, which I think is, is critical, critical training. Oh, absolutely. Um, um well, I, I won't go into that example. It's just me, uh, me showing off, but uh, it, it is excellent training, for, especially for for the non uh, medical types who are doing the T triple C, which is uh, uh, what is it? Uh, tactical combat, tactical combat, combat casualty, casualty care, casualty care. 
and it's a, yeah. and for those listening that haven't done it, it's an it's an advanced form where of of training where guys who are uh, infantrymen, combat arms, non medical types, are taught advanced procedures um, like how to decompress a uh, uh, air in the lung, which is was causing somebody um, uh, to to go downhill towards death. Um, and uh, the guys learn stick a needle in there, decompress it, let the air out. Um, how, how to drain blood from a cavity and things like that. So it's an advanced form for for guys, and it saves lives on the battlefield. Yep, yep, one hundred percent. The uh, that type of training, I think, is important because experiencing it at that moment in the time when it is critical, you shouldn't be reacting to like, "Oh my God, the blood!" or "Oh, why is he screaming in pain at me?" Well you're poking them in the chest with a friggin' what is it? 10 gauge needle or whatever, 18 gauge uh, needle. So like, of course it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad, but he's going to um, feel good as soon as you do it. Exactly. Or dealing with prosthetic. Um, uh, what is it? The, uh, what do they call those designers uh, for the T triple C guys that do all the, the oh, makeup, the prosthetic makeup. The prosthetic makeup for all the injuries and stuff yeah, like moulage that. Moulage guys, wow. moulage guys, like totally like getting some sort of image in your head of what an amputation is going to look like—a traumatic amputation. Um, well, if you remember back in the day, they used to show us clips of uh, various wounds, like photos of various wounds, uh, yep. amputations, mine injuries. Yeah, the old combat that. first aid course. Yeah, but they they took that away, saying it was too traumatic. Well, yeah, yeah. You you gotta that nineteen year old you've got in the seat, who you're trying to train to to uh, somehow withstand the the horrors that is war, and the mental mental strain that it takes. You have to somehow get these guys ready for this. And if they can't look at a picture of an amputated leg or arm with uh, with prior warning that you're going to see some gore, yeah, how are they going to react on, in combat or? You know, yep. in a situation that requires them to put on a tourniquet. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, I think more. Yeah, so I think to and to summarize my point on resiliency is and PTSD is that I think that helps reduce um, the impacts of PTSD. I'm not saying it'll completely eliminate it, but I think that if you're prepared on what you may see or experience it's not going to be such a shock to the system. So, so to speak, I mean, obviously, obviously you don't want a military to, to keep grinding away on, on the fact that you could be killed, maimed, or, you know, seriously injured. You don't want them, you don't want them focusing on that, but it needs to be part of the, uh, of the training. Otherwise, um, yep. It's going to be damaging. Yep. Um, there's, a. if you go on the internet, there's a speech that a British officer gave in Iraq. Um, oh, I can't remember what it is. But it's their first time going into combat um, in the Gulf War. And this colonel, um, Tim Collins, Colonel Collins, he gives this speech uh, and he, he's up right front with his troops. Some of you may not come back. All of us are standing here right now, but some of you may not come back. That's all yeah, like, and those are the conversations we need to have. Yeah, like we need to. 
But again, you don't want that. You don't want that at the recruiting end of things because people realizing they could get seriously maimed, killed, or injured might have don't we? thoughts. <laughs> don't we? Yeah. I mean, do do we? I don't know. I think that's also a fault in our recruiting system. Is like, oh yeah, just sign here, and uh, yeah, you're going to go through basic training. And if you don't like that first trade they give you, you can just do this thing called remuster, and then you can pick a trade that you want. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Everybody out there, raise their hand if you've been lied to by your recruiter. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think they do do that at uh, <laughs> in the beginning. You know, I don't recall death being mentioned through basic training or uh, nope or any of my training up until you know deployment, that kind of thing. Where even then it no. wasn't wasn't mentioned. It was uh, uh, it was just sort of noted by everybody that. A mine kills you or maims you. Yeah, I mean, back then, how did we deal with casualties in a simulated environment? Because we were firing blanks. You'd be sitting in a trench shooting at this fictitious enemy over the hill. Yeah. And, you know, the the person behind you, your senior NCO or whatever, or the instructor would come by, tap you on the soldier and say, oh, you're dead now. Yeah. And you just, like, put down your gun and you'd sit at the bottom of your trench. You're yeah. like, oh, I guess I'm dead. Yeah. Um, or they'd put a you know, piece of FMP, you know, your field message pad, pin it to your chest saying that you had a, an amputated arm. Yeah, or we had <laughs> or, those, or the medics had the advanced cards of the injury yeah. that you were looking at. Yeah, it was just a card that stated your injury, not an actual, you couldn't actually see it. It was just like, oh, this guy has breathing difficulties. How's your breathing? I'm breathing fine. You know, <laughs> I, it was one of those types of scenarios, which I think we've come a long way from. Um but uh, we didn't do ourselves any favors in that aspect. Yeah, um, certainly not. And then there's and then there's the idea of pride, um, leadership, and pride. And I and I go to the Marine Corps in the U.S. on this one when they're recruiting strategies. Yeah. Um, soldiers down there don't become Marines just because they're looking for a job. No, there's there is such a legacy and amazing mystique. tradition mystique behind the Marine Corps. They join the Marine Corps because they want to fight for their country because they want to defend it because they believe in the flag. Um, the only ones I would say that are on par with that, uh, that line of thinking that I want to go to war. I want to defend the nation is the, uh, the French mm-hmm. foreign legion, French foreign legion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they also have that. Yeah. That mystique. And so much history behind them that, you know, people from all over the world come to join to protect uh, France. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the Yanks, uh, back to the, uh, the Yanks, the Marines are are definitely aware of their history, aware of what they're getting into right from the word go. You know, they're screaming kill, yeah. kill, kill, not unhit kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that having that mentality goes a, a long way in helping process some of the shit that you see. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder, because you, you look at the list of suicides. I mean, our, our, our uh, uh, deaths of veterans from suicide is, is significantly high, as are a lot of the, uh, the countries that have Afghanistan. But it is. Um, they have huge rates of, uh, of PTSD in, in uh, the military, in the U.S. military. Um, mm-hmm. And why is that? Why are they not getting the you know the uh, 
the training, the resi- resi- resiliency training. Um, they've got the bonds built. Um, you know, these guys are friends for life in many cases. You know, what, what's yeah. going wrong there? Why, why, why isn't resiliency training working? Um, you know, why isn't uh, the group dynamics keeping, keeping everybody together? What, what what's going on yeah. there? Yeah, uh, I mean that could be. Who knows? I I mean, there's so much speculation that you'd have to. I have no clue on what's the big difference between the Marine Corps, the U.S. Army, U.S. Navy, uh, and the U.S. Air Force, and compare them. Don't forget the Coast Guard and the Coast. Then the Coast Guard. Um, can't forget those guys. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, what is, what is the difference in PTSD rates amongst them? Is it related to training uh, versus Canada? Like, what's our PTSD rates between the RCAF, the Army, and the Navy, and the Special Forces? Yeah. Um, are, are, you saying, are you saying you don't think there is a, is a difference between the suicide rate of uh, our veterans in regards to uh, U.S. veterans? Oh, no, I think we have a very high suicide rate in Canada compared to our size, 70,000 Reg 4s. Yeah. I think our suicide rate is ridiculous, um, and it's ignored, and that's another topic. But and how do you mean by it's ignored? It kind of ties into this topic. How, how would I mean by it's ignored? Like, we've here in Borden, we've had – I've been posted to this base for five years, and in five years we've had three suicides. Yeah, that's not insignificant. Um, no, are but these, did, did you did you know that there were suicides on this base? Uh, yeah, I didn't know what the number was, but yeah, I knew there had been uh, suicides there's on been, the board. There's, there's, yeah, and, but, I mean, and how many suicides the, have you heard about the ones in Petawawa? I mean, well, you probably have connections. Exactly, exactly. Unless I know the people. Um, or the unit, I don't hear about them. And it's the same thing in Borden. There was one suicide here that I only found out through Facebook. It wasn't even passed on through the chain of command in an O group saying we had an incident, a soldier died, he took his own life. Okay, so what, what do we do about like, that? I don't, what do we do about that? I don't understand why the chain of command is so scared of this. I don't understand why we wouldn't Advertising? push that out. We lost a soldier. That means there's a problem somewhere. What was affecting this soldier that he felt his only way out was to take his own life? Was it his unit? Was it his chain of command? Was it just something mentally he was dealing with? Uh, was it personal life? Maybe something in his personal life he felt he couldn't escape? Um, so what's, what's the first thing you do to fix it? To fix the suicide rate? It to to how, how, how the military deals with suicide. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but we started this Sentinel program. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... I think that's one good step, um, but you also have to have the right people to be sentinels, right? Because I think that's one thing that you, where in a in a combat arms unit, you probably know your comrade better than in a support unit. Yeah, probably. You've been to Borden. Everybody here just goes home at the end of the day, and that's it. Yeah. Um, they don't have that close relationship like you do and say, see sort where you see each other all the time. You spend a lot of time together. So yeah, you know the guy inside out. And whatnot. You can tell when a guy is having a bad day, right? Right. Um, something's affecting them. Here, people just go home for the weekend, 
I mean, you go to Tim Hortons here, and so many people have their head down. They don't even make eye contact. Yeah. Uh, it's just so depressing. Where's the pride in, uh, in, in self and uniform? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I think the first step is that we just got to – you got to make everybody feel like they're part of a team. So that's a leadership thing. And, and I, and I think keeping in mind uh, the families of guys who've committed suicide, I, I, I think we need to, to um, talk about it more frequently and more openly uh, mm-hmm. because the public doesn't know, like you said, how many, how, how many uh, did I know of anybody that had killed themselves in the, in Borden or pick a base? You know, um, if we don't know, how's the general public out there going to know? One hundred percent. And how how do we get the general public online uh, with providing us more um, uh, more health care, more mental health care, whatever? If yep. if they're not aware of it, I, mean, yep. I, I don't think the general public gives a shit about us one way or the other in general. Um, no, nope. that, that's a harsh statement. I mean, there was plenty of flag waving and. Um, um, wearing of sackcloth and eating ashes and all that other stuff when, uh, when the, when the, uh, the boxes with our, with our guys were coming home and I don't, I don't yeah. want to sound callous there, but you know, after, after the flag w- waving, that was it. It's true. Canada is terrible for that. Um, other countries aren't like that. Um, it, it always takes a conflict in Canada and troops to start coming home and in, in caskets for the general population to, give a shit if you will. Oh my God, you know, we lost some lives, but I think that was an event that rallied the entire world against one common enemy. Right. Right. Um, Although I, I don't think Canada's the only one that's terrible at that. I mean, you look at the UK and they were looking to us as an example of how to bring home our, our honored dead. True. uh, True. And you got to look back as far as Kipling to know with his, uh, his uh, poem, uh, Tommy, that, he wasn't yep. he wasn't uh, appreciated then any more than he is appreciated today. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Um So I guess we basically to sum that up, we got to do the job cuz you love it. Totally. You you're either in the military for the long haul or you're not. Um this is not a job that you just decide to do one day because uh creditors are knocking on your door. Um you know, it's a lifestyle. It's its own culture. Um, yeah, which I think is why we have a, an attrition problem too, is because we're just recruiting people because they, not necessarily for the right reasons, but because they're applying. Yeah, we need a slot filled. And we have, we have to keep them coming in. And if we can at least keep them for three to five years, well, that's awesome. But soldiers that stay in three to five years don't build teams, um, but you know they move on. They realize it's not for them, and hopefully somebody comes behind them that does build those those bonds. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, totally. So, so do we get to talk about everything you want to talk about, or did we miss something? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it, man. It's I, the biggest things that I just wanted to, you know, things that have helped me over the years, looking back and even currently, is I think really, you know, resilience, resiliency. To, you know, building that mental toughness through realistic training. Yeah. Um, and even coming up, I guess, I would even hazard to say that coming up in the military in the early 90s where you could be yelled at, you could be disciplined, 
um, a little bit easier than what you can be now, I think really helped me build that thick skin, so to speak. So yelling, um, you're a donkey dick to the four points of the compass was is something that, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or somebody, you know, kicking in your door in your barracks and taking you for a friggin' 5 a.m. 10 kilometer run. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, the old twin bridges run in Calgary, uh, you know, just because they could, my God, you try and do that now. Oh, you didn't give them eight hours of sleep. You can't do that. Um, okay. Let's, you know. let's, let's stick to present time here. Um, <laughs> let's, let's not go on a rant. Let's not go on a rant. But I think that those things, I think resiliency training builds mental toughness, um, which helps you prepare for things that you may encounter in your military career. Um, and then what helps that as well is, is leadership, having a strong leader, a moral leader, an ethical leader, um, trust. And do you think we largely are doing that within the Canadian forces, producing ethical and moral leaders? I think we are. It's just the media is portraying that we aren't. <laughs> well, let, let me just play uh, devil's advocate there for a second. Sure. Um, you look at advance, you look at uh, um, any of the admirals that were filling in a CDS position. Each of those yeah. guys is responding to some sexual, uh, mostly sexual assault. Um, a couple yeah. of them are sexual harassment things, which you'd expect, but the, yeah. the sexual assault seems to be uh, quite a, quite an issue. And, uh, you know, how these are the guys at the top. Yeah. How how is that reflected on the guys at the bottom kind of thing? You know, some some private coming up or some corporal coming up. Like he's not he's obviously not emulating the CDS, but you know these guys are getting away with shit, um, or it appears to. I don't want to I don't want to make them guilty before they've been found uh, guilty. Um, yeah. But you know, are we? producing leaders that are ethical and and uh, moral i i don't know if it's producing remember the canadian forces is built from the society that we live in right so across people yeah it's a cross-section so people bring their own beliefs um morals and ideologies with them when they join the military and then when you join the military the military then tries to indoctrinate you, if you will, into our own military ethos, which is based on the Canadian social ethos, if you will. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's based on a healthy... Um, healthy thing. Yeah. Um, but what we don't take into account, which is human flaws, narcissism ego egocentric people um you know uh sociopathy psychopathy uh everybody has these traits i think and some people have these traits that just go undetected and you can look at russell williams about that um you know so do do people in power 
think that they're invincible, which is the accusation that was made in the media, the one statement that was made in the media about Vance, that he felt he was invincible because he controlled uh, the NIS or whatever. Yeah, uh, that there's a lot going on in that story. There's 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 a lot, right? And but basically, you're saying I, I'm not saying he's innocent or or guilty. I'm just saying that I think that this is where this is where we need to improve our our emotional intelligence and ethical reasoning training as well so that you can do have those checks and balances and say, hey, I think this is wrong. I need to step back. Well, again, what these guys need to do is read the seven tenets of Satanism. <laughs> yeah. Once again, and Jared, you got you to gotta get back to me on that one when you, when you uh, read it. Because honest to God, it's an honest, honest to God. It is a, uh, it is a inspirational, motivational, um, um, rules to live by kind of, uh, kind of thing. And actually yeah. we'll have you back on that. We'll talk about that. Once we'll talk about that one. Yeah. I mean, you are a somewhat spiritual guy, are you not? Spiritual? Yeah. Oh God, I'm a non-practicing Roman Catholic. But are you still a believer in some sort of higher power? Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, when I was a kid, I came from a very strict Roman Catholic family. Um, we went to church every Sunday, Easter, Good Fridays, twice on Christmas, fucking you name it. Um, I was even, I was an altar boy for three years yep. when I was a teenager I went to Roman. I went to Roman Catholic schools my entire life, um, and uh, went to catechism. You name it. Like it was. I, I think there was a point in my life where I actually thought I was going to be a priest. Yeah, well, um, I was the oldest uh, son. I was uh, expect my great grandparents and grandparents uh, thought that I would make an excellent priest as well. Yeah, <laughs> I would have made a lousy priest, obviously. But uh, like I went to, I used to go to confession, all that kind of stuff. You know, my mom raised me in a very Roman Catholic family. Um, and then when I turned uh, sixteen, she said to me, she said, uh, "Okay, you're old enough now. You need to determine how you want to continue in life religiously." You know, with what you believe, what you've been taught, or take a different path altogether. Um, you know, she left it open. She said, I've taken you this far. It's now up to you to determine where you want to go and what you what you believe. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. She's, she's guided you as much as she can now, and now it's your your road to hoe kind of thing. Yeah, 100, 100%. And then I, I think... I'm a, I analyze shit to death. Um, Is that so a recent I, thing or a? Uh... Oh, my entire life. Yeah. I, like I, I deconstruct everything. I deconstruct everything and put it back together uh, to figure out how it works. Yep. Um, so I think it's, it's almost like Tom Hanks in the Da Vinci Code um, or no angels and demons when he's asked if he believes in God and he says he, uh, his mind, his his heart wants him to believe, but his mind doesn't let him, or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. Uh, you know, science says one thing, um, but there's a deeper part of me that probably says there's there is something else. 
who knows? I'll find out when I die. Maybe. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe after I read the seven tenets of Satanism, it'll be something else. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to shut her down on that note, I think. Have you covered okay. pretty much everything you've, uh, you wanted to cover then? We didn't miss anything, I don't think. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty good. Okay, brother, uh, stay on the line. I'm going to do a sign off. Uh, okay. As soon as you've uh, read the seven tenets of uh, Satanism, I'm going to get a couple other people uh, to read that. Maybe we'll get an online uh, or a, a pod on on that. Which I, yeah, which I was going to. Gonna, be... you, you should probably get like three of us on at the same time to have a like, little debate or something. Yeah, exactly. And I just run the circus because I can have like. A, <laughs> I can have up to 21 people, I think, on this thing, or 23 people. So Nice. But I, I've tried uh, having more than one person, and d- depending on the, the personalities, it can be quite uh, quite difficult to contain. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you hold on. I'll sign off, and uh, we'll be right back. Okay. All right there, Rockus Bacchus fan. Uh, hope you're tuning in and still enjoying the uh, the show. Uh, hi once again to mom and uh, anybody else who might have uh, accidentally stumbled across this. Uh, we we're talking with Jared Soul today on a whole bunch of topics. Uh, and uh, I think the, ta- the takeaway message is quite simply, um, make sure you're looking, looking inward uh, at yourself and, and looking after, after your needs. Would that be a- 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 accurate, Jared? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, you can have the best support network ever, um, but at the end of the day, you have to look inwards. All right. Look inwards. Get some help if you need it. It's a tough world out there, guys. So uh, look after yourself. That's it from Rock is Have a good one. <laughs>